because that's really important. Like minorities being afraid to talk back to white mm. people. Like oh. that, you just hit something there because I think that's huge. Like, well, and also huge. I was young, right? This guy was like well into his thirties. He was wearing a suit. He had like all these banners of like the market and the tickers in his office. And he was just like very legit looking, you know? And but I was you like, had a master's degree making $100,000. You were afraid of a white man. I was scared. Name. Hi, I'm Amber. And hi, I'm Brenda. And this is the Minority Millennial Money Podcast. about ourselves today um and I just wanted to make the disclaimer that obviously we're not certified financial planners we don't have degrees in finance but we are real people with real careers who have real plans and so I think that that's almost more relatable than someone who whose full-time job is either being a finance influencer or even being in a typical finance profession which actually is almost a little bit more out of touch than the regular person who's just saving and investing their money. Right. I mean, we don't need the podcast to make money, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> We're doing this for fun. <laughs> we have other marketable skills. Um, that was just my disclaimer because I feel like there may be some backlash of like, you guys don't even have any formal education. And um, I would just say our, our education is our experience so far. And we want to share that with people. So, so speaking of that, <laughs> Brenda, yeah, what, you know, I guess like what brought you here? Like, first of all, what do you do now for people who don't know? And mm -hmm. where did you start? I mean, because I think a lot of people, when they read your bio, um, they may say like, oh, this girl's got, you know, rental property. She's got all this money. She must have come from privilege. So... Uh what is like, what's your story? What are you doing? And like, you know, what happened? Yeah. So I am the daughter of Mexican immigrants. Uh, I'm a first generation American. Both of my parents are from Mexico. My dad has a higher education level at about a high school education. And when my mom was growing up, there wasn't really much need for a woman to get much education past maybe middle school. So as far as I know, my mom doesn't have much more than middle school education. Um, that being said, she's always been an avid reader and has really tried to educate herself as much as she can. Um, but yeah, I'm the first person in my family to go to college and thus the first person in my family to get a master's degree. And, and of course, I'm going to be the first person to get a PhD. And um, I think that that is the way that I am changing the narrative in my family. The narrative is now going to be that we are not just financially wealthy, but we're also intellectually wealthy. Um, and that only happens with putting in years of hard work into formal education in my case. Um, so I chose to become a nurse when I was in high school because I had someone in my family who was a nurse. 
And she was kind of a role model to me. And so I also wanted to do something practical that was useful that I knew was flexible. And I will say that even though my parents are immigrants, I grew up in a middle class to upper middle class town where most of the students went to college. And so just, I just assumed because I was in that current that I was going to college. And so I did. Um, I went to college, I became a nurse, I graduated at age 21. And then later, after a few years later, I went and got my master's degree because I knew that there was potential to make a lot more income that way. So when you say you graduated at 21, I assume that means you got a bachelor's degree? I got a bachelor's degree at 21. Yes. I was always a bit young for my grade. So I started college at 17. So um, what does, for those of us who don't know about what it means to be a nurse. So what did you get your bachelor's in? I got my bachelor's in nursing. It's a bachelor's of science in nursing. And it's a four-year degree, assuming that you get your prereqs done in two years. And then you do the upper division. They call the upper division at my school which was like the formal nursing training where you go to the hospitals, you do your rotations, you could do all your skills, oh, wow. all of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't yeah, realize so you do. nursing did that. What? <laughs> yeah, no, I had literally, I had no idea. I'm not even kidding. Like, this is not for the podcast. This is real. <laughs> no. So it's like, yeah, it's so. like a medical school program, kind of, right? Like you, you're in like right, a residency. So in nursing, right. And I've taught first uh, semester nursing upper division students, which are technically juniors. So it's their first semester of their junior year. And that's the first time that a nursing student goes to the hospital, takes care of real people and practices nursing interventions on them. So I'll go into this later, but I'm also a nurse educator now. And um, I'm really passionate about, about teaching because I had a relatively good experience in my undergraduate education. And I went to the University of Texas at Austin. Um, and I went on a lot of scholarships, I will say that. Um, I am Hispanic, I was a National Hispanic Scholar. I was very academically inclined in high school, typical nerd, you know, um, never got in trouble type kid. So <laughs> I did definitely get a significant amount of scholarships. And I know that you'll talk about that more in one of our other episodes about how to go to college without accumulating a lot of debt. Yes. I will. <laughs> a lot to say on that topic. So, okay. So you, so you're saying, so you got your master's, um, you said at, at 20, what age did you get your master's? So then I, I went back to school, uh, five years after four years after my undergrad graduation, I started a master's program to become a nurse practitioner, which is an advanced practice registered nurse. In the state of Texas, we can diagnose and treat patients just like a physician under the delegation of the physician. And so they delegate their prescriptive authority to us, which means that we can prescribe medications. And if we have a DEA license, then you can also prescribe schedule three, four, and five medications. Um, so basically, I mean, I can never go do surgery, right? Like I'll never be a physician. But in the practical setting, I can do everything a physician can do. Uh, and I was seeing patients that way for the last three years until I started my PhD in August. 
So talk about a little bit of, I guess, the wealth you have accumulated so far, because I think a lot of people want to know, like, so is, is nursing lucrative, right? Like, hmm. what, how, yeah. how were you able to have rental properties and talk a little bit about what you have um, and how you were able to do that on a nursing salary? Right. So there are definitely lots of avenues for making a significant amount of money in nursing. I'll be honest with you. And I don't think I tapped into all of them. Um, I was making about 75,000 a year when I left the hospital as a registered nurse, because I was in the float pool, which is a nurse that can essentially work in any department in the hospital. So it does require some experience and you have to be deemed qualified to do that. So I was making 75,000 and at the point when I graduated from my master's, which I got the hospital where I was working to pay for the majority of my master's degree, which I did not go to an expensive school. I went to a state school that was about $21,000 total. And that was also a decision I made out of knowing that in nursing, it doesn't really matter where you go to college as long as you have that license, right? It's not like business schools where you go for the networking and that kind of thing. Like, and I've never really been interested in, in having name brand education because I knew that if the return on the investment was going to be the same, whether I paid 80,000 or 20,000 on my degree, I'd rather pay 20,000. And I don't regret that to this day. So by the time I was 27 and I was graduating from my master's, I had saved up about $25,000. And this is kind of when I started thinking, I've got some money, like I'm paying all my bills, I'm doing really well. I had kept my cost of living low, I was living with a couple friends. And I was listening to a couple podcasts that were talking about investing. So I actually went to Wells Fargo, because that's where I used to bank. And I went to a financial advisor, I think that's what they call them there. And he put my $25,000 into a portfolio. And I didn't know what it was. I just was like, well, I guess my money is invested now. So I got kind of nervous about it because I felt like something was off, you know, and I hate to say this, but it was just like a white guy like telling me what to do and I was like kind of scared to talk back to him or like ask him more questions but I also felt like I should do some more research so Ooh. I looked into it and I realized that Wells Fargo had like a 1.5 percent fee which doesn't sound like that much but that's a really high fee so as I get more educated I like take all my money out of the Wells Fargo and I move it into M1 finance which at the time had 0.25% fees. So this was like one sixth of the fees, right? Which over my 35 years of the market or 40, whatever, will be a lot of money. So I just want to say real me, quick, Brenda, because that's really important. Like minorities being afraid to talk back to white mm, people. Like oh. that, you just hit something there because I think that's huge. Like, well, and also huge. I was young. Right. This guy was like well into his 30s. He was wearing a suit. He had like all these banners of like the market and the tickers in his office. And he was just like very legit looking, you know. And so I was you like, had a and master's degree making $100,000. You were afraid of a white I was scared. Yep. I was. 
I was. And you know what's funny is that I think I only had like 22,000, but he was like, well, you really need to have 25,000 to be able to have this portfolio. And like looking back, I'm like, that was so predatory, you know? And he was like, oh, I had this 401k from a previous job. It had like $3,500 in it. And he was like, just cash that out so you can make this, so you can make it 25,000. So like along the way, I made a lot of mistakes, right? So like, like I said at the beginning, like we're not experts, but please learn from my mistakes. Like never cash out your 401k. Thank God it was only $3,500 that I cashed out. So anyway, I invest this money and then I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm about to start making more money and I decided to buy a place. So I bought my first condo that summer of 2017. I lived in it for a year and a half and then I thought I want something bigger and it was quite easy to rent out the condo because it's perfect for a single professional and I qualified to get another mortgage because at this point my income was well over 100000 as a nurse practitioner and I bought another house. And when I moved into that house, I house hacked. And that means I was renting the rooms to someone and eventually it became travel nurses. So I had like a nurse house and it was really awesome because I had like a revolving door of nurses from all over the country living with me. And I'm, I've also been a nurse, you know, so there was a level of camaraderie. And um, Last summer, I thought I was going to move to another city for a relationship, and then the relationship ended up not working out. So now both of my properties are leased out, and I rent an apartment in Central Austin, which I'm actually really enjoying, and I'm enjoying having really great tenant, tenants um, that pay rent on time during a pandemic. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, in that sense. And I know we'll have another real estate episode, but I'm really enjoying real estate so far I mean that's yeah. good yeah I think you're in a yeah. really good market I think Texas is a really good market for real estate that's true um that's true. so you talked about your debt and you said that your college was 20,000 total my master's was 20,000 my undergrad was about 40 but I had about ten thousand dollars in student loans after my undergrad but I remember I got a second job because I only worked three days a week as a nurse in the hospital. So I had four days off a week. So I got a second job at a clinic and I just threw all the money from that job at my $10,000 loan and I paid it off in like six months. Wow. So you're debt-free currently? Yes, I'm debt-free. I mean, some people will tell you that my two mortgages are sources of debt, but considering that they're paying for themselves, they're, they're assets. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so why are you why are you doing this? You you have money clearly. You you are getting a PhD, um, which I know we didn't really touch on a lot. You know, you obviously left a six figure job to to go to to get your PhD and you had the money to do so. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And I. You know, I'm thankful that I never, I never thought, well, let me set myself up so I can go get a PhD. You know, that wasn't, if you had told me five years ago that I was going to leave a six figure job to go get a PhD, I would have been like, you're funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so 
um, October 2019 came around and I was feeling like I could do more with my career and I have had some relationships but have essentially been single the last my whole life um so I was like you know why don't I just apply and see what happens and I ended up getting accepted into a program which funded me for my tuition and they pay me and my my expenses had always been low because right. I bought a car that I paid off. I don't have any debt. And when I had a house, I was renting out two thirds of it, right? So my housing costs were always low. I had a bit of a buffer and I was like, well, I don't have a financial excuse to not do this, right? And so I feel like that's the beauty of FIRE, right? Is to be able to say, I have the freedom to walk away from this job, which in the middle of COVID was really soul sucking and not enjoyable to pursue a dream, right? I am the most educated woman in my line of woman ever, right? My mother, my mother's mother, my mother's 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 mother yeah. have never done this. And so I just felt like even if, I don't get a financial return on this investment of a PhD, which knowing me, I probably will. <laughs> probably. But even if I didn't make a dime more than I did when I yeah. left my nurse practitioner job, it will be something that will be a legacy for my children. You know what I yeah. mean? And I want my children to be able to say, my mom has a PhD my mom's a professor, my mom's a scientist, you know? And so of course I can be a scientist. Of course I can be a doctor. Of course I can be whatever I want to be. So for me now, FIRE has given me the freedom to be able to focus on those things instead of how am I going to pay my bills next month? Right. And I think it's so important too, what you said about having people of color uh, be in those spaces. Because a lot of times what happens is it's going to be people from privilege who can take off those three years or whatever for the PhD. And they're the people that are going to fill those spaces. And they're the people that are going to do research on whatever they want to do research on and not on us and not on our people. And so that's right. huge. It's groundbreaking. Totally. Totally. And I definitely feel a personal mandate to be a person of color in nursing academia, which is 95% white women. And it lately, you know, I'm on nurse Twitter, so I'm into all the nurse drama. And it has really come up that nursing within itself, not towards patients, but within ourselves, there's a lot of racism in nursing, you know, mm. and we're not really an emancipatory profession, not with one another. And I have felt that firsthand. Um, so if it makes a difference for even one young girl or woman of color for me to be there with a PhD, then that is worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, should we talk about you? Sure. <laughs> I'm tired of talking about me. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So you're a first-generation college student. I know that. And I know that you have a broadcasting and journalism degree because yes. you've been super badass about editing our videos. <laughs> <laughs> Producer here. 
producer here. Oh yeah, I promoted you to producer. So <laughs> congrats on your promotion and tell me a little bit about how you are now where you are. Yeah, I mean, so I think I have sort of the typical like, you know, black, you know, raised in the in the hood story. I'm from Chicago. Um, right outside of Chicago, actually, a uh, place called Markham, Illinois, which actually, um, I think, has less resources than actually the city of Chicago. A lot of people moved out there, especially when they started closing down um, the housing the housing facilities that they had uh, people in, like the public housing. Um, so a lot of people moved out to Markham, Illinois, which is like a low-income, I don't know, probably 99% Black neighborhood. So I grew up there. Um, you know, the schools were not good. They were all failing schools. Um, you know, the, the typical story. Uh, my parents uh, had minimal education. My mom had a, had a high school diploma. She had some college, but didn't finish when I was in high school. My dad didn't, didn't have a high school diploma either. Um, so for me, my chasing education was just about getting out, really. Like, uh, I graduated high school when I was 16. Uh, I graduated early. Um, I needed to get away. It was just, <clears throat> it was one of those things where, you know, like you have to leave or you'll be changed, right? Like you can change the city or it'll change you. <laughs> so I knew I had to get out. So the way I found to get out was education. I went yeah. off to college. At the time I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. I wanted to be an, a TV news anchor. I wanted to be all over people's TV. You can still so do that, Amber. You can still be whatever you want to be. No, thank you. <laughs> I believe in you. No, so I, yes, I went to art school. I went to art school. Um, I graduated in three years instead of four. So I had a bachelor's degree by 19. Wow. When I walked across the stage at 19 years old. I had a bachelor's. It was so crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> what do you do? So wait, so you, you mean you got a bachelor's of art? Yes, I got a bachelor's of okay. arts in journalism at 19. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So because and at I 19, pursued... you're like, okay, I have a degree now. What? Yes. So I was in a situation where, you know, I found out when I graduated, like, journalism doesn't pay any money. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I had this degree, and thank God I worked full time throughout college and got a bunch of scholarships and hustled. So I didn't have any debt when I graduated. I walked across the stage with zero debt. And okay. So I was in a place where I literally just needed enough money to pay for my needs. And the jobs that I was going on interviews for were paying at the time $15,000 a year. And that's like $1,200 a month. Yes. Yes. So I moved back home with my parents and, you know, our, our house actually caught on fire. And so we were homeless for a while. And I know it's crazy. It was just, it's like out of a movie. Um, and I realized, you know what, like, I can't be a starving artist. <laughs> like, I don't have the privilege to be a starving artist. Like, my parents, mm. they, they couldn't have sent me money. You know what I mean? Like, they could, were trying to take care of themselves. And they had other kids, you know? Right. So I need to figure out my stuff out because I had three younger brothers. You didn't have a backup plan. Yes. Yes. So I was my backup plan. <laughs> I was my backup plan. So uh, I was like, you know what? I just, I literally woke up one morning and I was like, I, I got to go to law school because it was, it was just, it was just 
the only option that I could think of. Uh, mm. And I literally signed up for the law school admission test like weeks later. What is that called again? The LSAT, the, the, right? Yeah, the LSAT. Okay. I took it two months later and got into one of the top 25 law schools in the country. <laughs> of course. Literally, that was like it. I remember uh, the first day we were in, a, we were staying in a hotel at this time uh, after our house burned down. Um, I sent in my application to Yale, Yale Law. And I was like, I don't have an address to put on here. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, it was just crazy. But um, I, I didn't get into Yale, but I got into uh, University of Illinois. But yeah, that's pretty much it. The rest is history. Who wants to go to um, Yale anyway? Right? <laughs> um, wow. Okay. So when did you get into law school? So you were 19 when you graduated undergrad. And how many years were there between undergrad and law school? Not even like a year. Um, yeah. Okay. So you went to law school at like age 20. Yeah, 20. I think I had just turned 21 when school started because wow. school started in August and my birthday was in July. So I just turned 21. <laughs> yeah. Barely drinking age. Yeah, barely. And in law school. I was okay. in law school. Yeah, so I had a law degree at 24. And, okay. And how did you pay for that? I got a lot of scholarships to law school. Um I applied for a lot of scholarships. I got a great scholarship from my, the law school itself gave me a merit scholarship. I had had a really high GPA, you know, at my art school. So it wasn't difficult. I got a pretty good scholarship to law school. I applied for some outside scholarships and they covered most of tuition. So I ended up coming out of law school with a, a bit of debt, um, like 75,000, which um, for law school is like very low because law school is like $60,000 a year for three years. Wow. So basically one year I had to pay. Um, but with the public service loan forgiveness plan that they have, I've been in, in government my whole career. So in four years, all those loans will be forgiven. So I basically don't count them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're gonna go away. Yeah, they're gonna be forgiving in four years. So um, yeah, so that's that's my story. Um, but yeah, the, but but that was like hustling to get the law school that cheap. I mean, most people they have six figure debt for sure from from law school. Right, right. I don't know anyone who's not wealthy from their parents who went to law school who doesn't have six figures in debt. And I even know people in my profession who have six figures in debt. Um, which I do want to go back to the way we grew up because I was, I grew up with like this YOLO mentality, or at least my parents have this YOLO mentality. Like if we have money, we spend it and we enjoy it. And then when we don't, we just don't get to do things, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I want to be careful about how I say what I'm going to say because I love my parents and I'm so grateful for everything they did for me. But I knew that I wanted a more stable financial life. And I knew that my mom always told me like, you need to get an education so that you never have to depend on anyone else. And I've definitely done that. Unfortunately, it has swung the pendulum in the other direction where now it's really hard to find a partner <laughs> yeah but 
I'm not, I don't regret that. I just think that for some of us, you know, it's not like we woke up motivated or like we were born motivated. Like this is a product of how we grew up and the fact that we make the, we made the conscious decision that we didn't want our life to keep being that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And for you, you had, I didn't really see poverty growing up, but you did. And I kind of wanted to hear more of your motivation and why, I mean, I had never even told anyone that I was afraid of that guy, the financial advisor. Mm, it literally yeah. just came up as we're talking and that could have ruined me. You know what I mean? Like I could have mm. kept my $25,000 at Wells Fargo at 1.5% fees to this day. And like, he'd probably still be making money off of me Yeah, and my ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that's part of our motivation too, is that people have to realize that there are other people out there wanting to make money off your ignorance. Yep. Very true. I mean, I really wasn't around yeah. white people to be completely honest. I mean, I had white teachers at school, uh, but until college, I really honestly didn't know white people at all, which is, I think, difficult because I grew up speaking a vernacular that the majority of the world doesn't understand. <laughs> so when you talk about trying to communicate, right, and being in fields like journalism and law, where communication is pretty much the cornerstone of what you're doing, it took me a long time to master mm. English, which is crazy because even now I find myself translating, right? Like when I talk to my parents back home or when I hear from people back home, the way they speak to me, the, root, the roots of the words have different meanings. And... Mm those things are important and it sets us back. And I see it even now, you know, I've been a supervisor, uh, you know, at a lot of jobs and I've had to review writing from minorities mm -hmm. and I see the vernacular and I see the disconnect and why people mm -hmm. don't view minorities uh, the same sometimes. Not that they have, mm -hmm. you know, that's an excuse, but the point is that like, there's, there's a gap. There's a communication gap, which I think holds a lot of people back. And so I think for me, that was like one of the things of growing up, uh, you know, in an all black neighborhood. Um, it was tough, um, especially like in high school. I went to, so we had this weird situation where the black high schools were like uh, overburdened. And so they actually had to bus us to like a, a white high school. And so it was like, oh, a you were bused like Kamala Harris. I was bused. I, was bused. It, I had to take a 30 minute bus to school. And um, it was kind of like Brown v. Board. I gotta know if people know what Brown v. Board is outside of the legal profession, but it's, it's a historic case where the, the black students wanted to go to the all white school. And so they, they took a bus and they got there. And of course the white people were not welcoming of them. Um, but that's how it was it when was I was white in high school. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I had students come to me and say like, our parents are paying our, the property taxes to live in this neighborhood and you guys are here messing it up you know, and they, and they were not welcoming of, and I was in all honors classes, so I was in all white classes for the first time in my life, um, and so it was very isolating, um, mm. and so that's actually one of the reasons why I graduated high school in three years, because it was so awful, <laughs> but, mm. but what I will say is, you're like, you lot. thought I was an overachiever, but really, I was just miserable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, but I mean, like, you know what? I am so thankful for that experience because that's how the world was to me. 
you, when I got into these lawyer jobs and I'm working in these all white settings and I'm the only black attorney there, same as when I was in high school, when I was the only black kid in my honors class. So I was prepared when I started practicing law of how people were going to treat me and I was ready for it. And so, you know what? I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that experience at a young age, being in white settings where people are going to assume that you're less than them. They're going to assume that you are not as smart. They're going to assume that you can't keep up. Um, And so, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) Well, that too. And I think that because people assume that sometimes we tend to believe it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I think, well, I don't come from educated people. But I actually, actually, this reminds me of this poem I bought. This is a girl on, that I found on Instagram. Her name is Prisca Dorcas. And she, uh, she, I have this on my desk. And it says, you have learned, earned, and forced your way into spaces not meant for you. Spaces that are uninviting to your kind. You are poderosa like that. And that means powerful. Mm-hmm. And so I just keep this on my desk because sometimes the imposter syndrome kicks in, right? And mm-hmm. you're just like, I am the daughter of Mexican farmers. Like literally, you know what I mean? Like my dad has small business, but like just people that people in academia would look down upon or like would want to do research on. You know what I mean? Not yeah. their peers. And so I have definitely felt like I've entered spaces not inviting to my kind. And I won't say that about my PhD program because they're definitely very inclusive and supportive, but there have been places where I have worked in academic settings in which I did not feel that I belonged. And Mm. maybe part of it was external, but also part of it was definitely internal, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and I think now that I'm in my thirties and I'm a bit more settled and I am more comfortable in my skin, I can easily tell someone, well, you know, the reason I got a PhD scholarship is because I'm very intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, I could, I would tell you I got lucky and no one else applied, but I think the truth is that I'm just very intelligent and capable and I'm going to own that. You know, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. I work hard and it shows. Yep. Agreed. I definitely feel the same way. I mean, I've been practicing law for, you know, six years now and I wish somebody would. Listen, I've done my career. I will outlawyer you all day long. Don't try me. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, Um, I think that's exciting. And I hope that people who are hearing this or who are watching us uh, know that like, it took a while for us to get to this point, right? Like, we had a lot of struggles to get here. Listen, I have bought brand new cars, and I have (laughs) leased cars. Okay. (laughs) So if someone who has bought new cars and leased cars can have a net worth at almost, of almost 300000 at age 31. Yes. So can you. <laughs> snap to that. Three, snap to $300,000 in net worth, okay? <laughs> I'm never going to get a date again. 
brings us to the end of the podcast. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, tell us about your books because I know you have a few books on Amazon. Yes, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> so I. Oh, by the way, I'm an author. Published author here. Um, yeah, so I have four books currently on Amazon. My first book is about how to avoid college debt, uh, which is very important because I give a lot of ways to basically uh, hack your tuition. A lot of people don't know that tuition is actually negotiable. So you can call up the school and tell them, I'm not paying that. Obviously, you shouldn't say it that way. And I talk about that in my book of what you should say. But <laughs> um, tuition is totally negotiable. of funding this education. <laughs> Yeah, so schools will give you extra money if you call, and uh, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, different ways to uh, just lower the cost to get scholarships, so I hope that people read that. It's like $6 on Amazon, so I keep the books very cheap because I really want people to read them and to learn. Um, and anyway, so then I have another book about uh, how to choose the right college and how to choose the right major, and kind of like what you were saying about nursing and getting a public school education and how that was a lot cheaper for you. And it really just um, explains to people, you don't necessarily need that expensive private liberal arts school, uh, you know, college, if you're gonna be undecided, <laughs> right? Like you don't need that. And so it goes into details about how to choose wisely. And then my fourth book is about law school. And it's about, um, you know, what it's like to be an attorney. A lot of people have a lot of preconceived notions about what they think it means to be an attorney. They think you argue every day or they think, you know, uh, whatever, but there's, you can get a law degree and never practice law and never step foot in the courtroom. You can be a very well-paid and prestigious attorney. And so that's what my fourth book is about. And my fifth book is coming out very, very soon. Uh, it may uh, be out next week, actually. Um, but okay. it's about how to become a millionaire and what you should do, how you should invest your money, uh, what to do if you want to get out of debt, uh, and all of that. So hopefully people will check me out on Amazon. If you type in Money Moves Amber Porter into Amazon search, you will find all of my books. Money Moves Amber Porter. Yes. On Amazon. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think this was great because I feel like we gave people a good look into who we are, what we're doing, why it matters, and why it matters specifically to our communities. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, so hopefully Our people will keep listening. <laughs> I know I'm, I look really pale in this light, but I am brown. <laughs> I do have light skin privilege, I will admit that. <laughs> All right, see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye.